dealing again today with the peace of God, part two in our little mini-series within the book of Philippians, the peace of knowing Christ, part two. Lastly, last week we touched upon Philippians 4.6, this week we'll be dealing with Philippians 4.7. Anxiety is something we all struggle with, peace is in high demand, yet low supply. And that inner stillness, that inner peace, we all long for. We all long to not be restless, to be calm, to be present. How often are we physically in a place and yet our minds take us to a different place? It's difficult to be present with our family. It's difficult to have that that peace. And yet as Christians, what God promises, as we will see this morning is exactly that, peace, an inner stillness, an inner tranquility that is priceless. Let's go ahead and read together Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here at Community Bible Church, we engage in expositional preaching. And expositional preaching can be understood as the approach to preaching in which we go slowly through Scripture, through a book. Maybe we take one verse, maybe we take two verses, maybe three. There's flexibility there. But the goal is to preach what it is that the Bible says and all the intricacies and nuances. We might think of expository preaching as Jacob, how Jacob deals with the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. He tells the angel of the Lord that he will not let him go until he blesses him. That's what we want want to do with this passage this morning, Philippians 4, 7. We want to lay hold to this passage and say to it and to God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. We want to take Philippians 4, 7 and wring it dry of all of its truth for the purpose of life change. That's what we try to do here at Community Bible Church. And dealing with this topic of peace again, specifically what Paul says in Philippians 4, 7. And I have four points for you this morning, and each point I'm going to do a little rhetorical trick that I I don't think I've done yet. Each point will have the sound, the word, a word that begins with P, okay? That's where I'm going this morning. So the first point for us is this. The promise of God's peace. The promise of God's peace. Promises are very important for relationships, whether the relationships we have with one another or the relationships we have with God. Just last night, as my children were going to bed, one of them asked me, Dad, can I stay up a little late? And I said, no. However, I pinky promise you that tomorrow I'll let you stay up. So now I definitely have to keep that promise, right? I've shared it with all of you. Now, if I don't keep that promise, it will infringe on the relationship I have 
with this specific child. It will harm that relationship. But if I keep that promise, my relationship will be intact, and my child will come to trust me more that I am someone who keeps their word. So important. You think of a relationship between a husband and wife. At marriage, what a husband and a wife do is that they promise to one another that they will neither leave nor forsake each other. It is this lifelong bond until death in which husband and wife will keep their promise through thick and thin. Relationships are built on this. Our relationship with God at baptism. This is why baptism is so important. At baptism, what we do is we promise to the congregation and we promise to God that we will keep our word to following Christ. Essential. You cannot have this relationship with Christ without that. Now, promises go from us to God and from God to us. And our promises to God are built upon His promises to us. And these promises God keeps. Faith is essentially the belief that God will keep His promise to you. That's what faith is. And in this passage in Philippians 4, 7, we have a promise from God. Look with me at the passage. Notice how verse 7 begins. If you're reading an ESV, you will notice that verse 7 begins with an and. Now this and, what this and is doing is this and is connecting verse 6 with verse 7. If you're not reading an ESV, I believe that you will not have this and. You'll have a period, and then I think it'll just say the peace of God. In the original, in Greek, there is this and. There's a logical connection between verse 6 and 7. Now, verse 6 mentioned, in verse 6 that we dealt with last week, there we had these commandments. Do not be anxious, but instead, pray. That was the synth that's the synthesis of verse 6. So we dealt with that last week. And in verse 7, we have a promise, an and, in which Paul is indicating that if you do verse 6, Verse 7 will happen. Verse 7 is the result of obeying verse 6. And we get that with this and. Now also notice the tense of the verb in verse 7. The main verb in verse 7 is guard. Guard. What is the tense of that verb? It's future. Paul is saying is that if you follow and obey verse 7, excuse me, if you follow and obey verse 6, verse 7 will happen. Now, in studying Scripture, it's helpful to see what is not here. So the will is there. The peace of God will guard your hearts. Now, I want you to notice what is not there. What is not there is a may or a might. Paul does not say, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, might guard your heart. 
therefore, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, may guard your heart. It doesn't say that. May and mites are very weak words. I was reading a study recently, and this was the title of the article. I love coffee, so it had a lot of application for me. Coffee linked to longer survival in patients with colorectal cancer, study says. That's just more incentive to drink more coffee. So I click it, and this was the conclusion of the article. This was what it said. Coffee consumption may be associated with reduced risk of colorectal cancer. May? Now for the doctors and scientists out there, this is just kind of the territory you track in. Mays and mites really are important. But you can't base your life on a may or mite. We need some certainty. We need something to bank all of our life and our anxiety on. When we're struggling with these thoughts of anxiety, we can't have this, well, God might help you. God might guard your heart. We need a will. We need an and and a will. And what do we have in verse 7? It does not say, and the peace of God might guard your hearts. It says, and the peace of God will. This is a promise. This is not a hope. This is a promise. For you, dear Christian, what this means is that God promises that if you follow and obey, verse 6, God will do something for you. God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is not specific when this will happen. You might struggle in your anxiety. This is not some magic formula, some genie that you rub in a bottle that out pops the answer. You might struggle. And God has a purpose in the struggle. But he promises that his peace will be with you. That his peace will protect you. And that his peace will guard your heart and your mind. And the application of this is that we ought not to think that we know what the future holds. We can't think that we have it all figured out. What we must do is we must base our entire life, the anxieties that we have, the fears that we have, we need to confront those fears with verse 7. Dear friends, this is a promise from Almighty God. We do not believe that this is just the word of man, that this is the word of God, and that God promises to you, Christian, that if you embrace by faith, verse 6, that verse 7 will be yours. That's the promise. Embrace it by faith. Embrace the promise by faith. Believe in your heart that this is true. That's 
what the Word of God is confronting us with. With anxiety, we oftentimes think, I, don't, I can't control myself. I can't control how I feel and I think. That is a lie. The Word of God confronts us with embracing Philippians 4, 7 by faith. We must lay hold to it. Second point. First point was the promise of God's peace. Second point is the power of God's peace. Anxiety can be a crippling sin. It can be strong. It can hold us captive. It can ruin our thought life. It can ruin our emotions. It's strong, and sometimes it seems impossible to, to turn from. And yet the grace of God is stronger still. We underestimate our sins, but we also underestimate the grace of God. The grace of God is greater than all our sins. His peace is greater than your anxiety. Do you believe that? Notice how Paul talks about the peace of God here. In the peace of God, there's this phrase, comma, after the peace of God in the ESV, comma, which surpasses all understanding. Which surpasses all understanding. Paul is here describing what that peace is, what the peace of God is, what, the, what this gift that God gives to the believer and Paul describes it as a gift that is beyond our comprehension. This peace that God gives resembles God. When we come to Scripture, it is so important that we affirm the knowledge of God, that we affirm our ability to have a relationship with God. Some people believe that God is so far off and distant that we can't know Him, that we cannot have a relationship with Him. You cannot have Christianity with that type of thinking. We have to, at some level, affirm that we can know God, that we can know His peace. We do not know God fully, but we know God truly. We have to affirm that. But there's a sin that we must avoid in thinking that we can boil God down to our own understanding of Him. God is incomprehensible. Yes, we can know Him truly, but no, we cannot know Him fully. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Think about infinity. Whenever I was a child, I used to daydream about heaven. I used to think about the endless succession of moments. Young theologians, do you think about that? Just think about infinity. 
Now, infinity is really, we just, that word is a, a title that we give to a concept we don't understand. All we know is limitation. There's limits to our strength. There's limits to our days. There's limits to our power. In every which way we see and feel limitation. We are not eternal in any sense. We are finite. But the Bible says that God is not like us. That God is infinite. That his being fills the universe. That he created this creation by speaking. He has no limits. There is nothing that can confine him, box him in. And it is critical, as we see in this passage, that we remember the incomprehensibility of God. God is God. He fills heaven and earth, and the gifts that he gives resemble him and have his characteristics. The promise of peace, because it is from God, bears the characteristics of being incomprehensible. This peace that God promises is a peace. But our ability to think and understand it fully, it surpasses that. Oftentimes, whenever we have anxiety, we think we have things figured out. We think we know how the future will go. Anxiety is built upon that lie that we know what will happen. We extrapolate from a set of circumstances that we're going through right now, and we go to another step and another step and another step. It might be something like this. I have a sore throat. By the way, I don't have a sore throat. I have a sore throat. Next step, I have COVID. Next step, I'm going to have to go to the ICU. Next step, I'm going to die. Next step, my family will be destitute, poor, and miserable. That's what anxiety does. Anxiety, when you are anxious, you think you know what will happen. You put a limit and a scope on the future. And you fail to recognize that the peace of God is a peace that surpasses your ability to understand. We do not have it figured out. We walk by faith. This peace that God gives us is so powerful. We know it, but we only taste it. All of eternity, dear friends, for the Christian is going to be a learning and a growing in our understanding of this peace of God. The peace of God surpasses our understanding. Third point, protection, the protection of God's peace. The protection. This peace of God does something for you. It's powerful. It's a promise. And God's peace actually does something for you in your anxiety. Going back to the verb, and the peace of God, what does it do? It will guard your hearts and your minds guard. 
we want to hone in on this verb. Guard is a good translation of this Greek word. It can also be translated protect, keep, provide security, watch out for, has the notion of protection, that God will fight for you. God will fight for you. And what it is that God protects, what it is the parts of you that God fights for, are specified as hearts and minds. Now I want you to notice that hearts is contrasted here with minds, and minds is contrasted with hearts. Heart, this word cardia, where we get the word cardiology from, the study of the heart, cardia can be used in a very broad sense. It can be used to refer to the whole human person, their thoughts, their feelings, their soul. But in here, cardia is used more specifically. And I take its use, the way we understand its use here, is in contrast to minds. I take what Paul to be saying is that in the human person, anxiety attacks two parts of us. One part it attacks is our emotions. Our emotions. Anxiety can and will creep into how you feel. You might have a restlessness. You might have this low-grade fever of anxiety. You're irritable. You're nervous. You feel uneasy. I find that in my life, this is how mostly anxiety creeps into my life. You don't even really notice it. Other people notice it before you, but you're just, I'm just kind of edgy. It's kind of like putting something on the back burner. You put a pot on the back burner and you turn it on low. It takes a while to notice it, but it's just kind of there. It's like background noise. Anxiety creeps in here. Anxiety creeps will creep into how you feel how you're approaching other people, your attitudes. And you might not even know it. Or, and also, it can creep into your thoughts, your minds. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. Anxiety can creep into the way we feel, and anxiety can creep into the way we think. Going back to that list of steps with, I have a sore throat, it can creep into our thoughts. Our thoughts go here and there. They're uncontrolled. This is where anxiety attacks us. Now, God is not content to allow the believer to fall victim to anxiety. There's this peace of God that God promises that will fight anxiety. We might understand it like this. Let's say that there is a castle, and this castle represents your life, your emotions, and your thoughts. And on the horizon, there is an enemy that is coming to attack this castle. And this enemy is anxiety. It is coming to destroy. 
Now what happens is that due to the grace of God, we have protection. There are these foot soldiers that are standing outside this castle that confront the enemy and that wage war against the enemy. These little foot soldiers are the peace of God. And the way you arm yourself, the way you arm your castle, who you are, the way you fortify your emotions and your thoughts based upon this scripture is that you pray. You pray. That is your weapon. You don't fight it. God fights for you. Now you exert yourself in prayer. You exert yourself in praying to God continually. And what God does is he arms your castle with soldiers. And these soldiers keep watch over the castle, over your thoughts and your feelings. Dear friends, I think that verse 7 highlights a truth that we don't even know about. There is a grace in the life of a believer that we're not even aware of. If you think of all of the things in life that we could be fearful of, that we can have anxiety about, and think about all those areas where we don't, why don't we have anxiety in those areas? It is because the peace of God is fighting that sin, and we don't even know it. And your responsibility, what you have to do is you must pray continually with thanksgiving to arm yourself with these foot soldiers of the peace of Christ. Now for our last point. The place of God's peace. The promise, the power, the protection, and the place of God's peace. With this last point, we're trying to answer the question, where is this peace found? And I want to draw your attention, I want all of us to look at the passage. The passage ends with this short phrase, in Christ Jesus. This is a prepositional phrase. In is a preposition. And this preposition, this prepositional phrase, is very important. When you read scripture, pay attention to the prepositions. They have theological weight. And here that truth is evident. In Christ Jesus is a phrase that occurs throughout the Bible, specifically in Paul's epistles. And it refers to the believer's union with Christ. I don't want us to think of this as spatially, that we are in Christ, like some other illustration I can't think of right now. Like we are in the building. We shouldn't interpret this as spatially. Rather, we should interpret this as relationally. Think of union. Whenever you see in Christ, a good way to understand it a lot is that Paul is speaking here of union with Christ. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in your union with Jesus. And union here is simply the idea of relationship. That's what Paul is saying here. 
that because the believer is united with Christ, the believer therefore has access to the blessings of God the Father. God's blessings come to us in relationship to his son. And as we have relationship with his son, he pours his blessings out on us. But this promise of God's peace, if we state it negatively, is not found outside of Christ. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, the promise and protection that comes from this idea, is only available to Christians. This is only available to Christians. Those who are in Christ, those who have union with Him by faith, those who have a relationship with Christ. The benefits and the blessings here can only be understood in light of Him. Think about life outside of Christ. My mother used to say to me, how can people live without Jesus? How can people live in this world without his comfort, hope, peace, and protection? This is a very difficult existence. And for the non-Christian, there is no hope. For the non-Christian, for those who do not know Christ, the scriptures speak of nothing of God's promises, only to judge. There is no blessing or benefit to being outside of Christ. To not be a Christian is to live a miserable existence of anxiety, dread, and fear, hopelessness, and despair. To be outside of Christ is to have no peace, is to have no abiding in this world, no sense of security and purpose. A miserable existence is life outside of Christ. And for the non-believer, it only gets worse after death. Hell, the eternal punishment of God, is an experience of continual, constant, and unending anxiety. If you take your, your worst experience with anxiety in this world, you take the, the point of crisis that you've come to with anxiety, hell will be that times infinity. That's what hell is. The non-Christian has no hope. There's no purpose in this life without Christ. And that is the reality that will happen, the Bible teaches, with the non-Christian. Now, dear friends, we have a choice. We are not dead. You have the option to give your life to Christ. You have the option to know Him. 
How could you refuse this? How could you choose a life of hopelessness and anxiety when you are offered a peace that surpasses all understanding? What a foolish decision. Christ can solve your anxiety problem. And the reason why you might be so anxious is you might not know Jesus. God might allow you to experience the consequences of your sins without his protection. Jesus is the answer to all of life's problems, even anxiety. When I was in middle school, I used to go on AOL Instant Messenger. You remember this? Whenever you were logging into AOL, you couldn't pick up the phone because the internet access went through the phone. And there was this long login period. And on it, I used to do this. I used to go on AOL Instant Messenger after school, see what my friends are up to. It's basically a now obsolete form of text messaging. And whenever I was in middle school, I don't know why I remember this. Maybe the Lord led me to remember it for this illustration. Whenever I was in sixth grade, I was on AOL Instant Messenger one time, and you used to be able to click on people's profiles, kind of see what they're about. Now, this was before I, I met my beautiful, lovely wife, and I clicked on a girl's profile. And I'll never forget what her profile said. She was a Christian. This is what her little status said, her profile. No Jesus, N-O. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, K-N-O-W, no peace, K-N-O-W. I'll say it again. No Jesus, N-O, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. That little statement summarizes exactly what Paul is saying here with this last prepositional phrase, in Christ Jesus. If you do not know Christ, you have no peace. You might have the power of positive thinking. You might have a psychiatrist who gives you some pills that, and it helps your anxiety. But at the end of the day, you have nothing. All that awaits you is a fearsome judgment of eternal anxiety. But in light of Christ, you can have true abiding, life-altering peace with God. So, dear friends, I end with a plea to the non-Christian to accept peace. Accept it. Accept it by accepting Christ. Receive all that the Father offers you. Receive it all by faith. 
reach out your hand by faith and take this promise in Philippians 4, 7. By faith, say yes. This is what you must do. Say yes in your heart to what God teaches here. Exchange an eternity of dread and anxiety for a peace that surpasses all understanding. Father, we give you thanks and praise for the simplicity and power of your word. Father, I pray that we would lay hold to Philippians 4, 7 by faith. That we would believe it. That we would believe Philippians 4, 7 is as real as life itself. And that as a result, that we would obey Philippians 4, 6. I pray for the non-Christian. I pray that they would accept Christ. That they would accept the eternal peace that comes through him. Based upon his love for them. That they would exchange an eternity of dread. For eternal life. Father and for the Christian who struggles with anxiety. I pray for their prayer life. I pray that they would pray. I pray that you would bring them to a point in their life where they see that they need to fervently and passionately and continually express their dependence on you by means of prayer. Father, you've given us such a great tool in prayer. We pray for our prayer lives that you would increase it and sanctify our prayer lives. We thank you for the peace, Father, that you give us in Christ that surpasses all understanding. We ask by faith that would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In his name.